Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How we doing? Hey, if you're joining us online, we're glad you were with us as well. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FBH, and we are glad you're with us today. Uh, can you give it up one more time for Jake and the band? We're so happy he came to help us out um, this week. If you're new with us, um, you, you caught us at a great time. We are walking through a series called Simple, and we essentially want to talk through what it is that we will be known for as a church, our different programs, our systems, the different things that we want to put in place to make sure that disciple, discipleship is happening here. Um, oftentimes, we get really bogged down with the idea of conversion, right? It tends to be conversion, and then I'm just going to download a whole bunch of information, and then you're supposed to be a mature Christian, but that really isn't how it works, okay? And so we are trying to push hard into this idea of discipleship and specifically uh, simplicity, and so um, we want to do our best here to, to love God, to love people, and and to serve the world, and that's what we're uh, what we're talking about. So as we march on, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's imperative for us to pick up where Jeff left off last week. Jeff did a great job last week. He talked about four different transformative moments in the life of a believer. If you didn't catch that message, you can go on our website. You can catch it there. Um, we also are on podcasts too. So you can search FBH wherever you listen to your podcasts and it'll be there. Um, but beyond those uh, four transformative moments in the life of a believer, uh, our takeaway last week really was our, our need for community. And this week, we're going to take an even deeper dive into our need for community, specifically for uh, the purpose of God commanding us to do so. Because that really is the reason that we do what we do here, right? We aren't in the business of the church to shape morality, Okay, if you're here because you want to become a more moral person, that may be a byproduct, but that's not why we're here. Okay? Morality is not why we're here. We aren't in the business of church for social justice. And so if you're here hoping that we are going to be all about social justice and that's why we do what we do, you're going to be pretty disappointed. It's a byproduct of what happens when you call yourself a Christian. But it's not why we do what we do. We're out in the uh, business of church for egotistical reasons or for monetary gain. Um, as some people tend to believe, we don't want to pat ourselves on the back so we can say, look what we've built, look what we've done, look at our little empire that we've made or anything like that. We're not interested in that. We're interested in growing uh, the kingdom of God. Right? We're in the business of doing church because we want to love God to the best of our ability. And my guess is, especially if maybe you're newer in church or you're joining us online for the first time, that there may be people here who have some preconceived notions about the church, some of which may be merited, right? Some people who would assume that the church is all about themselves, okay? You, you go there and you just want to, all you want to do is to, to be about yourselves and have your little, little get-togethers and that sort of thing, or maybe that people think the church is about getting people out of poverty. That's a preconceived notion a lot of times that's the whole reason the church exists. So the church is about making bad people good again. Uh, the truth is none of these things are the case. We are in the business of doing church because we love God and we want other people to experience his love as well. Period. That's it. That's why we do church. Period. And while we fail at this pursuit every single day, 
We get up the next day and we get to try it again. And we get up the next day and we get to try it again, over and over and over again. Um, we want to continue to pursue God. That's our goal. That's our intention. Like I said, to love God, to love people, and to serve the world. And so if you were here last week, you know that Jeff called us into community as we love people. But I want to take a step back this week from what he said a little bit. Not a step back from what he said. Take a step before what he said and rewind back to Mark 12. If you've been to church, if you've been to our church, you know that when we preach about our mission and we talk about our vision here as a church, we're going to go to Mark chapter 12. It's going to be verses 28 and following. And I'll just read them real quick because most of you are familiar, but they'll be on the screens as well. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them of all the commandments, which is the most important. 29, the most important one answer, Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we can, these verses, we can camp on these verses forever. Forever. If you don't read another part of your Bible, if you learn nothing else, you will continually wrestle with these verses to simply love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of the things over and over and over again. Not because this truth changes. That's not why you'll continue to wrestle with it. You'll wrestle with this because your personal context continues to change. Your life changes. The things that are going on there, the struggles that you're having in your marriage, the struggles that you're having with the kids, the struggles that you're having with trying to stay connected with God, whatever it may be, we can camp there every single day and never get to the end of this command for us. Okay, because it tells us regardless of where you're at, your responsibility is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. It should consume us on a regular basis. And when we wake up in the morning, we should ask ourselves, how is it that we're able to love God better today? And let's be real, not just after you've had your coffee, because it's a whole lot easier to love people after you've had your coffee, right? No, we want to love God from the minute our feet hit the floor, and that's not an excuse to drink your coffee in bed. So the story doesn't stop here, though. Okay, Jesus continues, kind of like a bonus answer. Because I'm sure the Pharisees are ready to jump back in at this point and do their best to trap Jesus. And so Jesus continues in verse 31. He says, the second is this. He's talking about the greatest command. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher. The man replied, you're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the reality is, is that even though we can spend our entire eternity loving God, which we get to do, by the way, for those of you who have said yes to him, loving God has all of these byproducts that come with it, even if we weren't expecting it. So again, social justice, morality, loving people better, these are all byproducts of loving God first, because the truth is, is that loving God demands us to love people. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. Loving God demands us to love people. When you decide to love God, you have no other option because of the fact that not just because he commands it and you're saying, yes, master, or anything like that, but you begin to recognize who he is and what he has done for you. Not just to the point of praying, praying a prayer and saying, oh, I'm a disciple now. That's not how this works. 
Yeah, you recognize who he is and what he's done. You dig into his word. You begin to understand that not only is he, he for us, but he wants you to understand. He wants other people to understand him and know him in, in a very intimate way. And then as you love Jesus, you want to do everything that it is that he commands us to do. Right? Any real quick question. Any uh, elementary school teachers in the room? Raise them loud and proud. Okay, a couple of you. Good. Um, so elementary school. My wife used to teach elementary school. She taught kindergarten, first grade, and then second grade all in three years and all consecutively. It was great for her. Not stressful at all. Um, but my wife would constantly tell me that she would get much better buy-in from the kids. The kids would be much more apt to listen to her. Not when she raised her voice but when they knew that she was in their corner, when they knew for a fact that, hey, Mrs. Anderson loves them deeply, she cares about them a whole lot, and because of the fact she cares about them, they wanted to please her. They wanted to be obedient. They wanted to do the things that she asked them to do because of the relationship that they had with her. Right? It's the same thing that we see here as we recognize that God is in our corner, as he recognizes what he does for us, that he is for us, Okay? Out of that relationship comes our obedience and our desire to do the things that he wants us to do. And so as you love Jesus, you do what he has commanded us to do. So what's the nature of love then? Because, of course, it has to include obedience, but it, it's nothing less than being completely transformed by our love for him, a, a treasuring and admiring and delighting in and being satisfied in by this most beautiful treasure of all. The nature of love is Philippians 3.8. Our nature of love for God is Philippians 3.8, that I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That's it. Like, like I count everything else as lost. Nothing else matters even because of how much I love God. That's it. That's what Paul is telling the church in Philippi right there. Like, look, I don't care. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of no I know Jesus, so nothing else matters is what he's writing there. So because I love him, because I love God, I count everything else as lost in order to do, in order to do what it asks me to do. But it shouldn't be fueled by like this guilt-ridden sort of like, uh, okay, well, I'm going to feel really guilty about myself if I don't do the things that, that, that God has asked me to do. So because of that, I'm going to begrudgingly love somebody, right? Or, or it's like that, those, uh, those Thanksgivings that you go to, right? where you have all your family come together and it's nice and everybody's there and everybody's a little bit dressed up until after dinner, then everybody starts unbuttoning things to make more room for dinner, right? But while you're there, like I remember times like, mom, I really don't like that relative. And what did your mom say? You don't have to like them, but you have to love them, right? Yeah, we've all been there. You guys had my mom too? It was crazy. <laughs> Right? But, but, but that's just kind of like how we're, like we are called to, to love other people and it should pour out of us because of our recognition, our, our recognition of God loving us first. It's not something that naturally comes from within us. Like we weren't born thinking, hey, how can I love people? Ask moms. Like babies are selfish. Like, right? They come out and, and, and like all they want is to be fed and all they want is for you to change their clothes and then to like cry and stress you out. Like that's all babies want to do. And when you, they're getting fed, they don't even have like the compassion to hold their own head up to do that, right? 
Like, come on, babies. Like, they're just selfish. We're selfish even when we come out of the womb, right? But, but it is like we, we get to learn how to love as we enter into this relationship with Jesus. And even as you have kids, you get to teach them about Jesus and how to, how to love them well. And so that kind of love that God calls us to, the love that, that loves our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, that has to come from him. And we can't love like that without first loving God. It's impossible to be able to do. Which means we have to work to do for those who are around us every, we have work to do for those around us every single day. Right? We have to, we have to love people when they're kind and we get along with them. That's the easy one, right? When you hold open a door for somebody and they say thank you on the way in, you're like, I, I'm going to love that person well. It's the other one that you hold the door open for and they're texting and they completely ignore you, right? And you're like, okay, this guy. And then you say you're welcome out of spite. No, just me? Cool, all right. So, so we have to love people when they're nasty and unlovable, right? We have to love people when they disagree with us fundamentally on political issues, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if loving people is worth it when you get to that point. All right, we have to love people when they worship a different God than we do. That's a hard one, especially when you're looking at the context of our world right now, even as we just prayed for everything going on in Afghanistan. That, hey, if it came down to it, would you love the Taliban? Let you guys discuss that one over lunch later. We don't have time for that. But we have to love people when they're, di- when they're in the midst of a, of a sinful lifestyle that the Bible speaks out against. We're called to love them. We have to love people even when we simply don't feel like loving people. There's no excuse in the Bible to not love people. There's nothing in there that says you have to love people unless there's not, it says love people. And that's incredibly exhausting and it's incredibly difficult. It really is, right? You, I get it. At the end of the day, you're done. You're spent. You don't want to do anything but plop down on the couch and, and binge whatever Netflix show that you're binging at the time, right? It is exhausting to get up and to love people well. But the reality is it's not about us. It's not about our feelings. It's not about our energy level. It's not about any of those things, our preferences regarding the way things should go. It's about us working in such a way that we're going to honor God every single day of our lives by loving people to the best of our ability. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So as we love people, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human, whatever you do. And it's about getting our hands dirty and doing the work of of ministry, entering into the messiness of people's lives and saying, look, I know where you are and I know a way out and his name is Jesus. But here's the reality about that statement. While a lot of us would nod and even whisper amen under your breath because we don't do that too much here or anything like that. Like the reality of that statement of introducing somebody else to Jesus is I know that there's people in here who have been Christians their entire lives and never once introduced anybody else to Jesus. Never once. That's not loving. That's being nice. That's not being kind. And it's our responsibility to do so. Loving your neighbor is second in importance only to loving God. 
Because loving people is really just an extension of loving him. Jesus Jesus couldn't have given us the greatest command without also giving us the second greatest command because the two are completely entwined. Hear me, note takers, hear me. Loving people is a visible manifestation of loving God. Loving people is a visible manifestation of loving God. So how is it that we are loving God? How is it that we love God? Raise your hand real quick if you have read the five love languages or at least aware of it, right? Gary Chapman, bestseller. Uh, People still use it for premarital counseling. Um, It's great. It really is a, a great book. And so in the five love languages, he identifies five different ways that people either feel love or give love, right? Five different ways. Um, There's been a meme floating around for a while about the love languages as explained by tacos. So I'll explain it to you using that meme. So the five love languages are this. The first is uh, words of affirmation. So your tacos are delicious, right? Words of affirmation, okay? Quality time. Let's go get tacos together, right? That That would be quality time. Acts of service. Let me make you a taco, Okay, physical touch, let me hold you like a taco. <laughs> and gifts, here's a taco, right? Like those, those are the five love languages. And we can certainly use our words to express our love to God, right? We can definitely use that even through prayer or singing. And we can spend quality time with them through our devotionals and our, our Bible reading and that sort of thing. But how, tell me how is it that as we are trying to perform uh, are trying to give, trying to love God through acts of service. How do we do that without serving other people? Right? Or, or, or how do you give a gift to God without giving to a human being in some way? How do you physically touch God without touching people? You can't. But when we, when we serve, touch, and give gifts to other people, we are doing it for Christ. We are loving God as we love people. Jesus once said, he says this in Matthew 25, 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for Jesus. It isn't an option. Loving people is not an option. It is a command from God. And it isn't even an option regarding who to love. It doesn't matter if you're close with them, if you just met them, if your kid is on the baseball team and their parents yell too much. I don't know. It's not an option, though, and I think the church often forgets that we, like, we don't stand out because of our convictions. We stand out because of our love. That's the church's call. Dee Breston and uh, Kathy Tricoli, they made some observations in a book. They're authors. The, the book is called Falling in Love with Jesus, and they talk about Jesus' command to love one another. They say this, do you know what the Bible says is the mark of a Christian? Is it our views on abortion or homosexuality? Is it our involvement in a Bible-believing church? Is it a doctrinal stance on salvation? No. What arrests people, what causes us to stand out from the world is not our convictions, as important as those may be. It's love. When we can live a life of love, the world sits up and takes notice. John 13, 35 says it a little more concisely. By this, everyone will know that you are disciples if you love one another. 
Because here's the reality. The entire world, if you haven't noticed, has convictions. Everybody does. Don't believe me? You should sign up for Facebook. The whole world has, every single person in the world has, some, has convictions. Some of them are noble. Some of them aren't very important. But anyone you talk to or interact with has an idea about the way the world should interact with one another. Which is why I think it's one of the reasons the Bible doesn't tell us to go yell our convictions at other people on social media or argue with people about trivial things. It tells us that the Bible will know we are Christians by the way we love. That's what makes people sit up in their chair. That's what makes people sit up and take notice of the fact the Bible isn't only true. Hear me on this. The Bible works. That's the difference. It's not your theology. So as a church, we are going to love people by doing life together. That's what we want to do. And that's what we've done. Our goal today is to, to get you and, and, and put, there's a, uh, another slide. There's the, the wheel. Put the wheel up. Sorry, I'm going out of order. I changed some stuff. There we go. This is what we've done. Our goal today, if you're new with us, if you've been here forever, I don't care. I mean, I care about you as an individual. <laughs> I don't care. Everybody look at this. Our goal is to get you from being a first-time guest to being a disciple. Like, like, that's our motive. You want to know why we give you donuts and coffee? Because we want you to come back so you'll become a disciple of Jesus right? We want you to be a regular attender. We want you to get plugged into small groups. We want you to serve. We want you to do all of those things because we believe that as you work your way around this wheel, as we continue to be discipled, that you will then in turn make more disciples. That's our goal. That's why the church exists. It's not for you to be a better person. It's for you to fall deeply and madly in love with Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. And unfortunately, a lot of Christian discipleships deals with what you need to know, not who you need to be with. And that's sad. Because if we get the relationships right, the information will follow. If we connect people in real gospel community, they will learn. But the opposite isn't always true. Right? Like I said before, we're too often concerned only with conversion and information download, and we don't take community and relationship-based discipleship seriously enough. And as much as I love getting together with you guys, I mean, you guys are a whole lot of fun to hang out with. I mean, my whole spiritual gift is teaching and preaching like this is it. If we didn't get together anymore, at, I mean, it happened a little while ago. It was terrible preaching to an empty room. It was a camera and Kyle. It was rough. I mean, if you've never talked with Kyle, he laughs at every single joke, so it makes me feel a little bit better about my content, but still, it was, but, but this isn't, this is only a small fraction of why we exist as a church. Yeah, you need to come, and there's some equipping that happens here, and we want to get you plugged in here on a Sunday morning, and, and prayer, and there's some fellowship that happens, and that sort of thing, but for the most part, it's all kind of surface level. It's all up here. It's all in the top half of that discipleship wheel right there. And if you've been living up there, like, great, be there for a little while. But that's not where you should stay. You should not be on the top half of that wheel if you've been, if you've been a Christian for, for any amount of time. You need to get plugged in to community. 
There is something, something drastically different, something powerfully unique about an, an intimate gathering in, in a living room or a small classroom or around a dining room table that forces us to think differently than when we're in a big room for worship. It's like Jeff talked about last week, going from rows to circles, interacting with other believers. Right? And God, God, God set this out for us. Like, he did this for us. God is in community. Right? He showed us. He gave us an example with the Trinity. Jesus, he called his disciples. The early church met together daily. Like, there's examples all throughout Scripture. God never intended us to live the Christian life alone. God calls us to love, not in an abstract or a superficial way, but in a deep, face-to-face, life-on-life, transformative way, which is difficult and inevitably messy, and welcome to Christianity. And the issue tends to be that like one of the hang-ups tends to be is that we have like this consumeristic mentality of, of groups in some way. And it's just rampant in our culture. It's permeated our understanding of community, that we no longer enter into community because we simply just want to be together. We enter into community because we're more interested in what somebody else can give me. We're more interested in, in, in doing our best to figure out how this person can help me get ahead. That's how networking happened, right? Like we network so I can get further ahead in my life rather than seeking out community in order to deepen relationships with other believers and with God. We focus on what we're going to get out of church or get out of small groups rather than what God is going to do in us and through us because of those relationships. Personal growth doesn't happen in isolation. It's the result of those relationships. You want to know how, how to grow a church really, really fast? Let me tell you. Here's the secret to church growth. Okay? All of you, get ready. It's going to be mind-blowing. Faster than any other church, what you do is you, you fire your pastor. I, I'm not, I'm not, you shouldn't do this, to be fair, just so we're all clear on this. What you do though is you fire your pastor and you get someone up here who doesn't say um all the time. Yeah, he doesn't spit when he talks. He doesn't stumble over words that tend to sound alike or or anything like that. He doesn't talk about his kids every work he get every week. He's a theological monster who is then able to preach the house down every single Sunday. You want to grow a church as fast as you can? That's how you grow a church. That's the secret to church growth. I want to write a book about it. I just finished the book. That's it, really. You want to grow a church faster than anybody else? That's fine. That'll be the biggest church in town, I promise you. Get a celebrity pastor who can preach the house down, that'll be the biggest church in town. I guarantee you, though, it will not be the healthiest church in town. It will not. That's the whole reason that Jeff and I, my first six months here, we said, hey, if we do nothing else right, our goal is to be the church in Kings County who does small groups better than anybody else. That's our goal. And the reason isn't because we don't think Sunday morning is important. We think it's incredibly important. But the reason we want to make sure that small groups are the building blocks for our church is because I want to have peace of mind knowing that if for some reason I can't stand in this pulpit, if for some reason Jeff is no longer here, 
If for some reason Kyle is no longer on staff, if for some reason Dave Fox doesn't come preach or we can't get a worship pastor, that I know that our congregation is still going to be in community and still doing their best to love God and love people and serve the world. So that won't be disrupted. That's the goal because it's not about me. It's not about this little empire that I want to build. Man, I want FBH, like FBH flourished long before I got here, and I hope it'll flourish long after I'm here. Like, that would be the goal. And that doesn't happen by building ministries on the shoulders of pastors. It happens on, by, by building ministry on the shoulders of disciples who want to make more disciples. That's how it works. That's how you create a healthy church. And then guess what happens? Those disciples make disciples, and guess what those next disciples do? They make more disciples. That's the sign of a healthy church. And if you haven't been in a group, like, like I get it. It feels scary and threatening to allow ourselves to be known or to invest in, in knowing someone else at a deep level. It's so much easier and more convenient to stay on the surface, to stay on the top half of that wheel, to go to our outreach events, to, to be a regular attender, and to never proceed beyond that. We don't want you to stay there. And we believe one of, the, one of the most important decisions you can make in your walk with Christ, besides profession of faith and getting baptized, is getting plugged into a community of believers who will sharpen you as a disciple. We believe that is, that is one of the, the next most important things in your walk with Christ. So when we take the risk of being authentic with this small group of people, we can experience God's grace and love that comes through other people. And that just leads us to, to, to transformation. And we want to spend, spend time building that environment that allows these true relationships to, to be able to flourish. So here's what we're going to do. Is you all know that Wednesday nights we're, we're launching into our, 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 our excuse me, September 8th, we're launching into our Wednesday nights, right? Like that's starting, small groups are launching. And if you're interested in, in joining a small group, we have two options for you. We have an option on Wednesday night, and we have an option on not Wednesday night. That was our goal, okay? Because we've identified two things that happen in the midst of COVID. One, a lot of families recognized that there was value in, or remembered rather, that there was value in being at a place together. It forced people to slow down. It forced people to spend time with your family, right? We pulled out more board games last year than we've ever pulled out as a family. And then we argued and then we put them back away because that's what happens in board games. <laughs> but the other thing that we recognize is that as people are coming out of this, we also recognize that, hey, there's still the madness and the chaos of life. So if you're looking for a one-stop shop, hey, everybody in our entire family from birth through 120 years old, we're all gonna be at one place at one time. We have Wednesday nights for you. You can grab dinner. We got a spot for junior high kids. We got a spot for elementary age kids. We got a spot for senior adults. We got a spot for regular adults, right? And, and Wednesday nights, like, like uh, this small group thing is gonna be happening from birth, like I said, through 120. Our elementary school kids on Wednesday nights, you know what they're, kind of going to be working into small groups. We're trying to put kids who are 
close to the same age in a group together to talk about the things that, that are important, to, to start experiencing community and recognizing that, hey, like the songs and the dancing and the craziness and all that stuff of Sunday morning to make them excited about church, that's important to get them excited about church. But that's not the end all be all. We want you to be in community with one another. And then our junior hires, junior hires usually they, they meet on Wednesday nights and that's kind of their big group. That's their Sunday morning gathering. And so what we're actually going to be doing for junior hires and their small groups on, on Sunday morning starting September 12th, they're gonna come in, they're gonna sing three songs with us and worship and during announcements, we're gonna release them. We're gonna let them go into their small groups for the last 45 minutes of the service. And that allows them the opportunity to dig in and life on life with each other a little bit more seriously. And our adult small groups, we've got a ton of them. You know, when we, we launched small groups two years ago, we had 12 small groups. I think we finished with eight that year, and we were pumped about it. Okay, this year, we currently have 18 pushing into 23. Our goal is to continue this transformation, to continue these building blocks so disciples continue to make more disciples regardless of who's standing in this pulpit. That is our goal. Senior adults, Sunday mornings are coming back this fall. We would love for you to join our Sunday morning small group that'll be happening. Senior adult ladies, Wednesday morning in the chapel, we have a small group going on for you. Senior adult men, we have a Wednesday night and we think we have a Thursday morning men for senior adults opening up as well. I don't care what age you are. I don't care what your excuse is. We have something for you to get into community. At some point, you have to say, I'm gonna take responsibility for my spiritual faith, for my faith, and I'm gonna get involved in a, in a group of believers who are going to sharpen me and lead me back towards Jesus. At some point, we can no longer say, look at all the shiny things we have for you. You have to get up and you have to walk into it at some point. You have to progress down that wheel. And we truly believe that disciples are called to be in community or else we wouldn't be doing any of this. It wouldn't matter. And we feel like one of the best ways to be in community is through the small groups that we offer. So we're gonna finish like this. I'm gonna invite Dave Fox to come up. Uh, Dave, if you don't know, Dave, Dave's a, uh, a good friend of mine. He's on our board, um, and he cares deeply, deeply, deeply um, about community and about small groups. Actually, when I got here, um, Dave started a small group on Tuesday nights, and, and Sarah and I uh, got an opportunity to go to that small group. I think there were, what, six of us, seven of us, something like that. Um, and it was really fun. The group grew to over 20-something people, and then we split it, and Dave got mad at me. Um, and so, um, but disciples continue to make disciples. And so Dave, because he's so passionate about groups, he's so passionate about community, um, he actually asked if he could pray for our small groups and pray for our community uh, this morning as we launch in. So take it away, sir. Thank you, Peter. Uh, Debbie, my wife, and I have uh, the privilege of leading a group of people on Tuesday nights, fellowshipping, Discussing, and by the way, we serve tacos on Tuesday night. <laughs> so, I can't add much more to what Peter said, but I was reminded uh, of something that I hadn't thought about in a long, long time. When I was a young man, about seven, eight years old, I lived in a neighborhood in Southern California. We had a, a three-tiered hill about 300 yards long, and there was about 20 of us knucklehead boys who would ride skateboards, bicycles, two-by-four go-karts, down that hill, hitting cars, curbs, going through gardens. And right next door to me was Old Man Green. Now, Old Man Green, he was a scary individual. 
and we would literally go around the other side of the street and not walk up his sidewalk or not get near his yard because he would come out and let us know what he thought about it. Well, I'm not very shy, so I thought, I'm going to find out what this is all about. So I started walking up his sidewalk, and I didn't say much. I would just look over and nod and keep going, and he just... And then it progressed to... Uh, and he would look at me, and I kept walking. And then I got a little braver, and I said, Morning, Mr. Green. <clears throat> and I started maybe picking up a little trash in front of his yard. Hey, Mr. Green. And he came down off the porch to the sidewalk one day. He said, Hello, young man. And we began to interact and talk. And I found out that uh, Mr. Green had lost his wife lost his kids. He was lonely. He was heartbroken. And before you know it, Mr. Green was coming down there and watching us knucklehead kids ride these carts down the street laughing at us, checking on us. And we began to have an interaction. And all of a sudden, it wasn't mean old man Green. It was Mr. Green, a kind gentleman. I look out in the congregation, not only here, but first service, and we've got, as pastor said, people that are been in the faith for, for years, and then we've got young people who, uh, maybe some of you, this is your first Sunday. You're not here by accident. I remember when I was growing up, if a little kid took two steps out of line in church, he was sat down and told you sit there and think about that. And now, nothing thrills me more than to see munchkins running all over this place, happy to be at church, young adults, thrills my soul. And we're Aunt, well, I'm not Aunt Debbie, she's Aunt Debbie, I'm Uncle Dave, or Mr. Box, or Mr. Fox, or Mr. Socks. But we love you. We want to come alongside you. We want to be there for you. Now, I know I don't look old, but I am. It's time for us to get off the porch, folks, and get down to the sidewalk and start loving on them. And young people, it's time for you to quit crossing the street and going around us. You need to come all over to our side, and we need to come together, and we need to learn and glean from one another and love one another and let good things happen because we have one thing in common. We're all walking through this life headed for eternity, and those who know Christ as their Savior are walking in confidence. And those of you who are maybe still seeking, we want to show you confidence in Jesus Christ, and small group is a great way to do that. Our group has had some amazing things happen. So can I just pray for you? And I'll let you decide if you're on the porch or walking across the street. But whatever you're doing, we shouldn't fear one another. We should value one another. Because this isn't a program. This is a passion. It's the passion that somebody had for me 50-plus years ago. It's a passion I want to have for you now. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for... Thank you for Jesus Christ, for what he means to us, what he's done in our lives. Thank you, Father, for each person who's here today, regardless of where they are in their journey. Father, for those of us who have walked many years with you, may we never, never forget that someone gave to us so that we could know this peace, and may we in turn give to others. And Father, if there are folks here that are seeking Christ, that are still trying to find that void in their life to be filled. 
God, how I pray that they would simply look at the ABCs of faith. They acknowledge I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short. B, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And C, I choose to follow him, to accept his forgiveness, to live amongst his gracious love, and to grow. And Father, I pray that what we could do for one another would become evident. Lord, may the Holy Spirit lead us to make those decisions, to find that group of people that best fits us. Father, most of all, help us to know that regardless of our, our background or where we've come from, in Christ we have something precious to offer. And may what we offer be blessed of you is our prayer. Bless those who are leading. Bless, Father, those who are going to be leading in the future. And may we rejoice in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. And amen.